Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm going to be talking about something that Nigel and Joe started last week. They started talking about this concept of scattered servants. And maybe to uh, just look at that and touch on that in the context of what kind of, um, Brian and Hillary and Eric were, were sharing is one of our responses to what is happening in the world is to be scattered servants, to be that salt and light that is influencing society. Though there is an increase, like they said in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, of darkness and things happening, at the same time, the Bible tells us that God is going to do a mighty work, that he will draw many to himself in the last days. And so in some ways, for myself, I, I, I sometimes have this kind of tension within me, this kind of the, the pain and the... Uh, of seeing what's happening in the world, yet at the same time, uh, a hope and anticipation and an excitement of what God is doing and is wanting to do in this world, and that is to draw people into a living and life-transforming relationship with him. And that's good news. If you want to hear more good news and things like that, we won't have time to interview him this morning, but um, Hermes, uh, my friend from Ethiopia, a number of you here, if you've been around this church uh, any time between the last kind of couple of months, and you would have heard me just sharing some stories about what God is doing um, amongst some of the Muslims in Ethiopia and ultimately in the Horn of Africa. Come along on Tuesday, 8 o'clock. Um, I think we're going to be upstairs. And just hear some stories that will kind of challenge you, that will encourage you, where maybe in an area that we often hear bad news from, and there are some bad things happening. At the same time, God is doing something and bringing life and transformation into communities. Right, you should have got a handout. Actually, could I have one? <laughs> uh, so I know what's there. Um, we're doing this, uh, my dear scattered service. I'm going to expand it a bit on it. But firstly, I wanted to kind of give what I saw as kind of three underlying premises or pillars. Going to give you a grasp of it. I know that um, Nigel and Joe are talking about how God has called us. Whatever kind of work or not working situation, whether you're at home, whether you're unemployed, wherever you may be, that God is there and He's calling us to be an influence, to be salt and light. And I think some of the things that help you kind of grasp this, and I think it might seem quite simplistic, this idea of scattered servants, but as we begin to grasp this idea, it makes life amazing. The Bible, there's lots of ways of looking at the Bible. One way to look at the Bible is it's full of stories about scattered servants. People, ordinary people in ordinary lives that had an encounter with God and through their life, they brought a transformation into the societies. Be it farmers, be it shepherds, be it fishermen, as they open themselves to that invitation from God to be a scattered servant, then they brought transformation. And that's the invitation he's given each one of us. And that, in your heart, should cause you to go, yes. Because some of the things that help us go, yes, maybe, are, are these. Firstly, uh, I think I've got it there in Esther 4, verse 4. For such a time as this. You can fill in the, the gap. For such a time as this, you are in this job. For such a time as this, you're a housewife. For such a time as this, you're retired. For such a time as this, you maybe you're unemployed. For such a time as this, God has placed you where you are. He's given you the sphere of influence 
that you have. Secondly, the verse uh, in Genesis 28, verse 16, it says, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of that. As we begin to grasp that, it makes every aspect of life, not just work. You know, often when I share, and I might share some, some stories today, I don't know how much time I'll, I'll get. Um, but, you know, I often look at something like Asda. Because for me, Asda, my local Asda up in Chandler's Ford, is where I have the greatest opportunity to make an impact because I have the greatest amount of people in one place, as far as I'm concerned. But if I can go into Asda and just think I'm going into Asda, I'm missing it. I'm not being a scattered servant. But when I go into Asda, I think, surely God is in this place. God is in this place. Then everything is different. I was at a conference this week and I was thinking about it and thinking, God is in this place. What I mean by that, as I'm catching the tube, God in this place. I'm here for a reason. I could have caught the earlier tube. I could have caught the later tube. It might sound a bit irreverent, but like I'm in the toilet. That's my way my wife thinks. I'm thinking, I'm in this toilet for a reason. Why? Apart from going to the toilet. <laughs> I knew that was going to come. <laughs> why, why, is, why, why am I here? And having that mentality and that expectation, you might say, that's, well, that's a bit irreverent. No, it's irreverent not to think that way. Because wherever God is, is a holy of holies. It doesn't matter where you are, God is there. The Bible says that the whole world is filled with the glory of God. The knowledge of God. So whatever it may be, fill in the gaps. And so I wanted to share that as well because uh, I love the way that Nigel and Joe just expanded thinking that taking it just from church, this physical building, start taking it to work. I wanted to just take it a little bit level further and say all of life is an opportunity. That you're there, wherever it may be, such a time as this, God is there. And the third principle is, God is at work. Wherever you are, God is at work. we just got to figure out what he's doing. And to work with him, to be co-workers. And as we begin to grasp that, then life is never boring. It's exciting, it's our invitation. That's what it means to follow Jesus. When Joe was sharing earlier about, you know, maybe you're here, you've been here for a while, and you're thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. It's an invitation to live a transformed life and for your transformed life to transform the societies and communities that you live in. That is exciting. And it doesn't matter what it is. We're called to be, be salt. Got some salt. And uh, I won't sprinkle this mic everywhere, so don't worry. And, um, but, you know, the idea of salt, we're talk, told in the Bible, we, salt is another way of being a scattered servant. The idea of salt is it draws flavor out of that which is around it. And that's what we're meant to be as scattered servants, that we draw flavor. We draw what God has put into people. We draw them into a relationship with the living God. But you know what? If you put all the salt in one place... Tastes horrible. You ever done that by accident? I remember buying some chips and they're kind of like, it's not working, it's not working. Uh, now it is. He wants salty chips. Um, but as soon as we do that, we kind of try to cram everything in. When we're out there, that is church. We limit God too much. We think this is church. What's happening on Sunday? We're having a service. Now, but church is 24 7 out there wherever we are and we're called to be sought and it doesn't matter what, what you're in I was thinking again this in relation to what Brian and Hillary were sharing I remember hearing somebody said this week 
You know, Daniel, you, you might think you're in a, a, a hard place and you think, is God here and can I work here? Daniel is uh, someone in the Old Testament. And if you want to put it another way, he worked for the witchcraft department. If you really understood the wise men and the people he was working with, there were sorcerers and things like that. And yet, even in that place, because he knew he was there for such a time as this, because he knew that God was surely in that place, and he knew that the Father was at work, he could bring the wisdom and the life-transforming power of God into that situation. So whatever situation you may be, you might say, Paul, you don't know my situation. It's hard to be a... Uh, I suspect you didn't have it as difficult and as hard as Daniel. So it's an invitation. And if I didn't say anything more today, and I am going to say a little bit more, you could go away with just uh, that excitement and anticipation. And this is what we're talking about. This is what we're unpacking. This is the reason why we're doing this series that Nigel and Joe started last week, and we're going to have another um, three weeks. Well, as we're thinking about that, we've got to think about what, what does that look like? Can you just give us some handles, some grips on that? And that's probably what I'm going to be trying to do today. This is actually a two-part talk, mine. Um, originally, we were going to be together, but I said, can we just split them for various reasons. So one of my aims today is just to kind of throw some concepts out, get you guys thinking, get you guys praying. A bit like Brian and Hillary said, some of the passages I will be looking at, uh, Matthew 28 and if you and uh, Luke chapter 10, I would encourage you to kind of go away and think about and look at and to study. And you'll see in your handouts, I put a points to ponder during the week. You'll see that in a couple of points. And to really think about that. If we're called to be scattered servants and bring transformation, how are we going to do it? And I'm going to share some principles from the Bible. And a lot of things I will be sharing comes from, particularly even though we're abroad for 11 years in the Middle East, probably the last 15 years where I've been thinking and and pondering what does it look like to share Jesus and to see societies, communities and nations change. So some of the things I will share today um, you might think, where is he coming from? You might stretch your mind. And I have a balloon here. It's actually a hot balloon. It's cute. And um, you know what you do if you want to blow up a balloon to make it easier? You stretch it. You stretch it. So some of the things I will say to you today, for some of you, it might be like, be like a stretching. Like, where is he coming from? I never heard that before. If it doesn't do that to you, you're probably not hearing me correctly. You need to listen again. And that's fine. I've been on this journey for a good 15 years thinking about it. But the stuff I'm sharing is birthed in scripture and forged in practice. So I'm just going to pray because one of the key things will be just to be looking at things differently. And some passages that you're aware of, but maybe looking at them from a slightly different perspective. Dad... Father, I just pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, that we would see new and wonderful things in your word. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to hear what you're saying to us and give us the courage to live them. Amen. Amen. If you look at your notes, I I, I refer to a very well-known passage, Matthew chapter 28. Verses 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I was teaching this a number of weeks ago at a church, and I gave them like a whole the teaching I'm trying to cram in. You know, it took me about two or three hours, so I'm not going to do that. But I gave them some time, and I said, you know, look through that, that well-known verse. If you've been around church for any period of time, you often see it, and say, what are some of the key words, and what do they mean? And I don't have time to do it, so I will tell you some of them. But the first one I want to draw attention to, and it sounds pretty obvious, it says, Go. Go and make disciples. Now, in some ways, that might not sound very revolutionary, but I think so often in my life and in the life of the church, we've changed that to come. Or go and bring. It doesn't say that. It says go. When I taught this a few weeks ago in this church, they came back to me person after person and went, for the first time in my life, I realized it said go. All of us are called to go, to be scattered servants wherever it may be, and to make disciples. Every one of us gets to play. And these are two quotes by John Wimber, who set up at the vineyard. And the meat, what he wants to do, the reality of the good news of Jesus, is there out in the streets. And I, that's one of these kind of like stretching, you might think it's not that big. You know, so often when I talk to people and I say that to them, um, I've met lots of church leaders the last few days because of our conference, and I tell them this. And the first thing they start telling me about is they're organizing this event or they're doing this, that, and the other. And I think, you missed it. It says, go. It says, go. What does that mean for you and me? Sometimes when people know one of my roles in this church is just to try to encourage the church to be outward focused, and I start speaking to people about this, and I normally have this conversation where they start telling me about some individual or some neighbor that they're meeting, they're starting to get to know, and they're hoping at some point to be able to bring them to church. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Maybe I'm just saying that's not the best thing. They are called to go. All of us. Secondly, we are called to go and make disciples that obey. Making a disciple is about a relationship with Christ, I've written in sheep. That results in a lifestyle of obedience to commands of Christ, which requires disciples to make more disciples. Making converts is about adhering to the doctrine of a particular faction, church, denomination, sect, or religion. One can convert without becoming a disciple of Jesus. Have a think about that. And again, that might be, what are you talking about? People can come out with a statement, this is what I believe about God, but that's not what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples, people that follow Jesus day in and day out. And part of that is to make more and more disciples. And some of the the talks coming up in the next few weeks, in particular, talk about what that means and what that looks like and some of the differences between that. Related to that is to make discipleships, if you look in scripture, was a, was a lifestyle, was an invitation. That's the reason why the two best examples we have of making disciples in the New Testament was Jesus and Paul. Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, come on a program. He said, follow me. Again and again, you see in the life of Paul, he said again and again, 
You know, if you want to know what it's about to follow Jesus, follow my example. He could say that because they lived with him. They spent time with him. They could see the way he reacted. And so the whole idea of making disciples, in some way that what I'm communicating this morning is, is way harder than maybe what we often think about discipleship. Often when people talk about and ask me about, can you help us to disciple people, what they're thinking about is they want me to give them a program. What I think the Bible talks about is giving a lifestyle. And that's way harder and that's way more difficult. And I know for some of you, they'll be like, what? But that is the invitation because that's what we're called to do. To live with people, not just to commit a couple of hours, but a life with them. That's why Jesus, maybe you look at on the logistics and the numbers front, you know, and he spent his life kind of like literally with 12 people. But look at the impact that he had. And that's the invitation we have. And I guess I could go on. Uh, and lastly, in relation to that, obedience. The focus is on obedience rather than knowledge. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And again, you might say that's pretty obvious. But often the way that we seek to share Jesus is we seek to pass on some aspect of knowledge and information. I'm not saying that's not important. Knowledge is very, very important. Here I am. I'm conveying some aspect of knowledge here. I used to be a university lecturer. But it has to outwork itself in obedience. Again and again, Jesus says, this is how you know that you are my disciples. By your love. By your actions. Not that you know the right answers but that you live the right life. And it's only possible to do that as you take hold of stuff. And again, particularly if you've been around church for a long time, you'll be looking thinking, what is he on about? Well, we're interested in this, to finish off this section, because we go to make disciples of all nations. Not to make disciples from nations, but disciples from all nations. Do we realize what that's saying? That's an amazing invitation. I think we've kind of made God and his calling upon our life too small. We kind of feel like, you know, I'm hoping to see this one, you know, this person or these individuals come to Jesus. He's inviting us to see nation transformation. I should get you excited. You're very quiet. <laughs> I know I'm kind of pushing your, your, your minds, whatever. But he's inviting us to change nations. And we've brought it down to individuals. We're invited to change nations. So let's go for that. But how can we do that? How can that look like? Well, we get some clues from Scripture. If you flip over, I want to quickly go through some stuff. You see there at the top, Jesus, disciples like us, were tasked with reaching a community. How did Jesus say they should do it? How did the early church model it so well? Then Acts 19 verse 10 that says, This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Wow. I, um, I didn't have space to get it in, but in my notes I put, This went on for two years so that all the people living in Winchester and surrounding areas heard the word of the Lord. Hey, I got an amen. That's pretty well. <laughs> that should be the way that we're thinking and we're dreaming and we're looking. Because that's what God has called us to do. 
And so how they did it? We get some clues in um, Luke chapter 10, verse 1 to 11. We also get some clues in, at the end of Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew 10. uses kind of similar stories about what it means to do that. And again, I don't have time to unpack all of this. I'd love to, but we, we've got a limitation of time. But I'd encourage you particularly, I'm going to share a little bit this week, and, and then when I speak in a few weeks' time, I'll unpack it even more about what we can learn from Luke chapter 10. I've written it out there, and I'd encourage you just to go through it, to read it. Put it in your own words. Think about what does it mean to do that. And particularly the points I mentioned there, what were the disciples told to do and not to do? What kind of person does Jesus say we should be looking for? And that second question in particular is what I want to just focus on. As I put it there, finding men and women of peace. Can we just play that clip? Please, finding men and women of peace. Because these are the people that will open up a community to an encounter with Jesus. The principle of a person of peace is one of the fundamental principles in this disciple-making process. It comes from Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sent out the 72. And he said to go into the towns and villages where he was intending to go. And one of the things that they were to do as they went into those communities was to look for that person of peace, that worthy person. Uh, we, just, we find that the person of peace is someone who has this spiritual openness, this spiritual sensitivity. Uh, they are hospitable. They, they invite you into their community. Uh, and they're a God-ordained person, someone, someone that God has ordained that's going to open the community to the gospel. And so we, we look, first of all, for the person of peace. So that the, uh, the disciple-maker from the outside is not essentially the evangelist. They're not going into the community to evangelize many people and bring them together in a group, but primarily to find the person of peace. And then the evangelism is done by that person of peace and their family as they become believers. So when they find the person of peace, they will then stay with that person, spend time with that person, disciple them over a period of time. Sometimes that may take three months or six months, discipling that person of peace and their family. Because they're really preparing them to be the insider who will reach the entire community with the gospel. Uh, there are uh, a lot of things that we could talk about, and when we do expand uh, the training time, we talk about how do you discover the person of peace? What are some of the things that you would do in the community so that you discover the person of peace? In fact, we often talk about how do you function in the community so that the person of peace finds you? Uh, they are the spiritual person that is looking and questioning. And so when we make uh, ourselves uh, available in the community and they discover that we are spiritual people, then the person of peace often finds us. And then we'll talk in, in training a lot more about how we would spend time with that person of peace and how we disciple them so that when they then uh, begin to uh, develop a group of people that are interested in discovering God, then right from the very beginning, they build into the DNA of this process uh, that which will help that community of people uh, to really discover who God is and, and as they become believers to really uh, have the kind of transformational impact on the community. So the first of these concepts is really the idea of taking the inside of this community that God has ordained, finding that person, discipling them, and then through them reaching the entire community with the gospel. 
when our goal is to reach the entire community, as opposed to reaching individuals within the community, the person of peace concept, using the insider, is the best strategy to really make that happen. So as the person was saying there, Hopefully, and again it might be new, as we expand our vision and our expectation to reach communities rather than individuals, then finding the men and women of peace who open up a community to an encounter with Jesus is crucial. The person of peace is the one that God has been preparing to receive the gospel for the first time and through them to impact the community. And what I mean by community is can mean a whole range of things. I think sometimes when we think about community, we just think about our, uh, maybe our neighbours, geographical community. And that might, be, that might be true. I remember when we moved into our cul-de-sac, um, there's kind of like a neighbourhood watch. There's only eight houses. There's a, there's a neighbourhood watch leader and then two deputies. Just <laughs> like a bit of an overkill. Um, and, um, and I used to think, well, this is a, a community here. But as I started spending time with them, I realized actually a number of them don't particularly like each other enough. Well, they're not communities. But each, this is not a community. But each person there represents a community. Wherever you go, there are communities. People often tell me when I share this, if that works amongst Muslims, that works in countries because there's more of a family unit and things like that. And maybe that is true. But wherever you are, people have communities. Uh, and so I take my children to the park occasionally. And when I go there, there's a community of skaters um, and BMXers. I just watch them, you observe them, they're communities, they're doing things. Wherever you go, I uh, like um, running. You get people there who, their community is just running. I have some good friends in Basingstoke who, their running group now, I don't know, it's got like 250, 300 people. It's just amazing. There's communities out there. My wife, Katie, she likes them um, board games, Scrabble. There's a Scrabble community in Eastleigh, believe it or not. Um, wherever you are, there are communities. And our aim is to find the person that will open that door so that we can introduce Jesus to them. We're looking in some ways for the one, but the one that will open the door. So uh, some of the things that we share today, but particularly next time, will be how do you find that person? But the reason I probably wanted to do this Today was probably just to start stretching your mind because you might need a few weeks just to think about some of this stuff. Secondly, to start whetting your appetite to begin to pray. Say, God, I want to start reaching communities. And you might have to think about it. What, what is God? That was one of the questions I got at the end. What community is God inviting you to transform? There's so many out there. I've got my neighborhood. There's, the, the fam- there's kind of the community at the school gate. Um... There's a Muslim community in Winchester. There's a Muslim community in Southampton. Which is the, what, is, what is God calling me to do? Maybe one of the first things that I'd encourage you there to stop praying about is what, what are you calling me to do? What community? If for some reason you have to be in a community where somewhere and you think, I can't think of a community, a bit like my friends in Basingstoke, they didn't have a running club, so they created one. It doesn't matter what it is. I was teaching this, like I said, a few weeks ago in a church. And at the beginning, when people were talking about this and reaching there, they were talking about individuals. Then at the end, I just said, let's just take a whiteboard and let's just start talking about some of the things that you love doing. Because often when we talk about impacting communities, we kind of think of it as something extra we have to do. And it's like, how am I going to fit this into my lifestyle? No, what do you like doing? Because whatever you like doing, you'll probably find a community of somebody that does that already. 
that's going to kill two birds with a stone. So as we sat there, people started coming out with kind of art and craft, just made like, like doing judo, um, badminton, flower arranging. They just, the list went on and on. And I looked and I said, you know, these all represent community. At the beginning, we were talking about individuals. And if we added it all up, like, okay, you, one, two, three, there's about 50 in that room, maybe about 50 or 60 people. But I said, each of these communities maybe represents 10, 15, 20, 100, a few hundred people. We've suddenly gone for a few individuals to hundreds of people. But the person that will open that door is the person of peace, because they will be the person that opens that community to you. And that's one of the characteristics of knowing whether that's a person. Not just that they're interested, but they will invite you into their community. So we need to begin to think, we need to begin to pray that way. An example from my life, quickly just to finish off, was when I first went to the Middle East, people dreamed for years and years to see one Muslim come to Jesus. I remember meeting people that's like, oh, I know if I spend 20 years in this country, and I see one person, one Muslim come to Jesus, that's great. And it was more difficult. And God's been doing an amazing thing in the, in the, in the Muslim world. And, uh, but that mentality still comes. So I remember when I first started hearing this teaching, you know, you just dream, particularly as somebody that you, you kind of write newsletters. It's a bit boring when you write newsletters and you haven't got a lot to say. It's hard work. And, um, and so I occasionally get these newsletters where they hear about this person. You know, there's a Muslim that wants start studying scriptures. And he used to go, yeah, at last. I've been waiting all these years, learning all this language. Like, come here. And they're going to study scripture. Not surprisingly, it's not that unusual in the Middle East and a lot in the Muslim world, a kind of secret believer was planted. But we're called to change nations and communities. And, and so what people started to do, and, uh, and, and I started trying to do, it never exactly happened, but this is what, kind of our plan and our desire was, if an individual came, it was normally uh, generally lads, and just because it's a bit easier in that society to mix with foreigners, came and said, would you study, I'd like to study the Bible with you. We would say no. You might say, what? We'd say, we will not study the Bible with you without getting the permission from your father or somebody in authority. Normally the father or the person in authority would say, no way. Well, the way, we'd, I mean, the way we'd go to them, we'd just go to the, the dad and we'd say, you know what, you have raised your son amazingly. You have raised your son to love God and to want to desire to study the stories of the prophets and learn from their lives. And as part of that, he's come to me because he wants to know about particularly the prophet, Muslims would call him Aisa Masih, Jesus. And, um, and so you, you've done such an amazing job of the way you raised your child. But we said because of... Um, this culture and just respect for you and honouring you, that we won't do it without your permission and without you being there. And that might, that's sometimes delayed things for years as a person starts to get into nerds. And then generally at some point, the dad would say, yeah, okay, I'm okay with my son to study scripture. Then we say, we still will not study the Bible unless there's like two or three recognised heads of this family there because we do not want to do anything behind your back. And not surprisingly, that's one of the reasons why whole communities of Muslims are starting to follow Jesus. And that's just an example from my life where I had to start thinking less in individuals and started thinking groups. Praying less for individuals, but thinking at the same time, what, what group do they represent? So take my old neighbour um, in Eastleigh. 
And she's a disabled lady. And I remember uh, it's in a wheelchair. Is that politically correct? Uh, never sure. I've been out of the country too long. And, uh, but I discovered that her community was the kind of disabled community. And so when I pray for her, I'm not just praying for her, I'm praying for the community that represents. It's just a slight difference. And you might be thinking, well, so it's kind of coming with that perspective and expectation to see communities come to Jesus and to look at every individual and say, what community do they represent? Everybody is in some type of community. It might be massive. It might be the dog-walking, loving community. It might be, I'm trying to think of some of the examples. They're just out there. If you have trouble, just speak to me. We're going for it. Because they will open the community. And you see this in Scripture. If you look in the book of Acts, very rarely did one individual ever start following Jesus. All groups came to follow Jesus. I don't have time. You have to, um, I've got some... There's a whole list of verses from the, the New Testament through Jesus' life and through the book of Acts. We have this mentality in the UK of individuals coming to Jesus. The rest of the world doesn't think individuals. We need to start thinking like the rest of the world, like the Bible, and thinking in groups. Even people like, you know, the Ethiopian unit, people come up to me, well, he gave his life to Jesus by himself. Most people that study scripture would say, a man of the importance of Ethiopian eunuch, a man of treasury, would not be going around by himself in the middle of the desert with a whole load of bandits around. He could well have had a few hundred people with him, partly for protection, and partly because of his position. So as I kind of come to conclude, and yeah, I wouldn't have enough time, <laughs> so that's just life. My challenge, my encouragement is that we are called to transform Communities. We are called to transform nations. Wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing, God is at work there. The key to it, in some ways I really just whet the appetite, is finding the men and women of peace that will open that door. And the key to finding that, I think I'll put it in your sheet, sir, is number two, extraordinary prayer. That's what they call it which is just crying out to God, crying out to God, listening to God, crying out to God, listening to God, in order to find the people that will open up the community, open up the harvest, because the harvest is white until harvest. So I'm going to pray, and um, i hand over to Joe. But, um, okay, I just wanted if you could stand up. Um, I should tell you what you're standing up for <laughs> before you stand up. But I was just going to invite you to stand up, and I wanted to just to kind of commission you and say to you, if you follow Jesus, even if you're not following Jesus, God can just work through you to impact your communities. And I just want to bless that and release that and bring encouragement. And I'm not sure, I know Nigel and Joey might have some ideas, but one of the things that we'll have time for later is I really believe God wants to give two things today. One is supernatural courage. I really believe that God wants to bring supernatural courage and fresh boldness, whatever situation you may be in, to bring that light and that salt in. And the other thing I really believe God wants to do is release wisdom. The world needs the wisdom of Christ. 
And some of you are in situations and you're thinking, you know, you're going into work situations even tomorrow and people will be asking questions, how do we do this? Don't know how to solve this problem. You know, as even Brian Hillary is saying, there's problems all over the world. Yeah, you've got world issues, there's, there's financial issues, there's marriage issues, the list go on. We have the solution. We have the wisdom of Christ. I really believe that God wants to do that. So I'm just going to pray a, a general blessing and commission and I'll hand over to Nigel and Joe. But one of the two things I do want to pray about and create opportunity is people that want to release this supernatural courage and release of wisdom. So I'm going to pray, but it's more of a, a um, commission. So I'm just direction. So I'll be speaking to you. So I just bless you. as a church and I just release you be salt and light wherever you may be I release courage and fresh vision to see every situation you're in from God's perspective I just release fresh hope to see the potential of what God is doing even right now at this point in time I just felt like God saying, you have everything you need to bring transformation. If you're a follower of Jesus, Christ is in us and we have the mind of Christ. That is the solution, the life transforming solution to everything. And so I bless you with that truth. I bless you with that revelation in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before I hand over to Joe, I, uh, I do stress, I'd encourage you, I'm not trying to get the most hits on the, on the listening, but to, I'd encourage you to maybe listen to some of that again, because if, like I said, a number of things I've said, you should be going away thinking, what? That doesn't seem right, that's not what they normally teach in church. And to look at particularly Luke chapter 10, and to examine it and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what that means and looks like to live it. Thank you, Paul. I don't know about you guys, but there are a few things in there that maybe go, ooh, that feels like a real stretch and something really to kind of think about and pray about. We've officially come to the end of our service. We've had opportunities to listen to different things that God's saying to us and to respond. And if you've come today and you have a need and you'd like someone to pray with you, either about this supernatural courage or wisdom or about a particular situation, or you've come with a need for healing, we would love to pray for you. And so I just invite you to come to the front. And members of our church family who pray for people often will come and join you and pray for you. Other than that, I'd like to remind you that this evening we do have our trustees um, meeting with strawberries and cream. So come and hear what the trustees have been doing over the past year, because this is all part of worship and all part of church family. But I'd like to bless you as you go today. Come and say hi at the Connect area if you haven't met us before. And do please go and connect your children from upstairs and thank their teams for looking after them and helping them find out more about Jesus. So church, bless you, be released. Go and enjoy your coffee, unless you'd like to come and have prayer for something particular, in which case we'd love to pray for you. Thank you.